Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Talking about one of my favorite people in the Bible, Joseph. Today we conclude our series on Jesus and Genesis. I have thoroughly enjoyed this six weeks. And uh, beginning, well, we got the, the youth coming on next week. But eventually we'll get to Romans. So that's not fair. I think every one of us has said this at, at some time in our lives where we go, that's not fair. It can become, it, it can come from an innocent heart, uh, a broken heart. It can lead to hopelessness, frustration, defeat, or it can lead to uh, rebellion, to where you go, you know what, I'm just dreaming of ways to get back, to have revenge. Remember Esau was, was comforting himself, thinking of ways to kill his brother Jacob. Now, it's, it, there's a third option. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's trusting in the Lord, uh, realizing that as we grow in our faith, we understand God's fingerprints are all over my past, present, future. We just sang, you are my future, you are my past, but we mean it. And to trust in Him it, it, uh, at this time is when it begins to make sense. Very simple outline. We're going to talk about it's not fair in relationships. So we're going to talk about a guy who almost all his brothers ganged up against him, ready to kill him. Then it's not fair at work. Maybe you were denied a promotion that you should have had, or maybe someone else got credit for something that you did, and hey, that's not fair. Thirdly, it's not fair in trials. Even when Joseph ended up in prison for years, it wasn't fair. Like, God, did you forget about me? But we come up with a solution at the end. But God, two words that change everything. So it's not fair. We're going to start with in relationships. Let's do a background to, to Jacob or to Joseph there in, um, in chapter 37. You guys there? So Reuben, the firstborn. Remember, firstborn gets the firstborn blessing, the firstborn birthright. But he forfeited it. Remember, Esau did it last, last week's sermon. Now Reuben, the firstborn of 12 brothers, jumps in bed with one of his dad's women. By doing so, he ended up losing his birthright. Can you imagine? We're talking about one night of passion, and it forever changed his life. He was disqualified from receiving his, his birthright, his blessing at that. So rather than going to the next in line, like last week, Esau blew it, Jacob got it. This week, okay, Reuben, the firstborn, blew it, so it should go to Simeon, the nextborn. But instead of that, he just leapfrogs all the way down to Joseph, because Joseph was a son in his old age, because Rachel didn't have kids for a long time. So Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, his favorite wife. Now, verse 3, this is where maybe you've read about this before, chapter 37. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a, a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17. So we're going to do some math, tally up uh, how long the, um, this went on for, these, these last chapters of Genesis. He was 17 years old. He was feeding the flocks with his brothers. And his, the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Those are two of the concubines of Jacob. His father's wives, they call them here. And Jacob brought forth a bad report of them to his dad. So, a tattletale. 
It's true, but it was a tattletale. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, remember? His name was changed to Israel. He loved Joseph more than all his children. That's never wise to pay favorites, to play favorites. So, because he was the son of his old age, and he also made a tunic, a, a tunic of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than they all, they, all his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk to him nicely. So this coat of many colors, some say it's coat of many colors that really stood out. Others say it's, it's a tailored jacket, a tailored shirt. It's not this thing, you know, like what Jesus wore on the cross and was just uh, seamless, just uh, a garment of a poor person. This one kind of stood out like, well, this is custom made. This is his way of saying Joseph is now the first dude. It's no longer Reuben. It goes all the way down to Joseph. He is the son of birthright. So his brothers hated him. Now, he says to his brothers, let me tell you about my dreams. Maybe you've heard about the dreams of Joseph. But it, it's basically you're smart, but, but not smart. When Karen and I were first married, now you guys are going to hate me for this. We had a duplex. We, we rented a duplex just uh, by three tables. And it was 200 a month rent, which included water. Uh, but it was, you know, thin walls. So one night, the guys behind us, now he's a big Portuguese guy. He said he was, uh, I heard he was a Golden Gloves boxer. He was always out back, like that thing. And so we had him with this big drunken party. And they brought the sound system outside and it was so loud, it was on volume 10. Our house is just a few feet away, it's shaking. And there are all these local guys just drunk. So my wife says, go talk to him. And I go, you're drunk too? No, I didn't say that, I just go, are you crazy? They'll kill me. So I go over there, because <laughs> love makes you do strange things. And I go up there and I, I'm trying to tell the guy, hey, can you turn it down? He goes, what, I can't hear you, that's my point. And so eventually, well, one guy comes up and goes, hey, we let go to the beach. We're going to talk. I mean, they're ready to pound me. Finally, I, the guy was the biggest guy there. I go, hey. And he goes, all right. They turned it off, broke out ukuleles, and just started singing. So the next day, I go over, and I go, hey, are we okay? We're cool, right? I mean, we're neighbors. We don't. And he goes, Mike, he's smart, but not smart. And he kept saying it over and over. You smart. And I go, this must be deep. I got to figure out what he's saying. He's saying you're smart that you married such a beautiful girl. But you're not smart to walk over to this big party and tell us to turn down our, our sound system. Anyway, we ended up being friends and lived to tell about it. So here he is. Joseph is sharing his dreams. He's going, guys, I had these dreams that are crazy. We're out, you know, doing the, the wheat and binding all the wheat into sheaves, and lo and behold, my sheep stood up right, and all of your sheaves bowed down to me. How cool is that dream? You smart, <laughs> but not smart. Then he has another dream. He says, oh, in this dream I saw the sun and the moon and, and 11 stars all bow down to me. How cool is that dream? You smart, not smart. Because what are you doing? You're rubbing it in our face? But the thing is, uh, his dad remembered. Remember, his dad had a dream. Remember last week, the, 
Jacob's ladder. He fell asleep using a stone for a pillow. And he, he saw this Jacob's ladder where angels were going up and down the ladder to heaven and to earth. And the outcome was he woke up and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. So he's thinking, you know what? The Lord spoke to me in a dream. Maybe he's speaking to this guy. So in this portion of Genesis, there's a total of six dreams. Joseph, we just talked about the two he had. When he goes to prison, two of the prisoners have one dream each. That's two more. The big ones are when Pharaoh has two dreams warning him about things to come. So in, in, in verse 19, they go, oh, here comes the dreamer. His brothers are ticked off. They're, they're so bummed at this guy. They're basically saying, this ends now. Here he comes. Let's, let's kill him. So in verse 23, it says they ripped off his coat. Remember the coat of many colors? It's the same word used for skinning an animal. So you can just see violently ripping it off. I hate this coat. And of course, they kill a little goat, dip the coat in blood, and later on showed it to, hey, does this look familiar? Is this Joseph's? What you, well, I wonder what happened. And they threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. But Reuben goes, hey, no, no, you can't do that. So they throw him in a pit, and it says, and they sat down to eat a meal. Did they say grace? Did, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm wondering how many there are going, what are we doing? We're plotting to kill our brother. And then they see this Ishmaelites coming along, and, and they go, oh, we're going to sell him as a slave. So later on, years later, over 20 years later, they're going, you know what? When we're eating that meal, this is in Genesis chapter 42, we saw the anguish of his soul. We, we just saw it as he pleaded with us. Here he is, beaten, stripped of the, the coat, thrown down a pit, and he's pleading, hey, come on, brother, we're family. What are you guys doing? And how are they eating that falafel going, hey, this is really cool. So then one guy comes by and says, uh, or I'm sorry, one of the brothers, hey, we're not going to get a profit of this. Why are we going to kill him and live with that blood on our Listen, here come some slave traders, some Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. Why don't we just put a price tag on him? This is Judah saying this. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's what their brother was worth to them. So in other words, Judah placed a, a um, material value on his relationship with his brother. What's your brother worth to you? Give me 20 bucks, we're done. Real, yeah, I can't stand him. He has these dreams. He flaunts that jacket I hate. He's like dad's in. Just give me 20 bucks. We're done. So it's interesting. I love to ask people, well, what's your 20 pieces of silver? And I'm not, not talking about, about Joseph now. We're talking about Jesus. And often people go, so what are you going to trade? If, if you have Jesus, this relationship with Jesus, what would it take for you to give up Jesus? And Honestly, so often it's a relationship. They're going, you know what? Give me the right boyfriend. Give me the right girlfriend. Give me the right job, the right car, the right setup. I'll forget all about Jesus. What's your 20, 20 pieces of silver? What would it take to give up Jesus Christ? Here the deal is, the Bible is full of dysfunctional families. This one in particular is major. When you've got brothers ready to kill each other, that's a major dysfunctional family. So maybe you have one too. You have to understand, present tense, God's at work. 
present tense in Joseph's life and all and Jacob and all his sons, God's at work. It doesn't appear that way yet, but he's at work. So that's not fair in relationships. Let's trade him for 20 bucks. Probably a little bit more money than that, but now we're going into at work. And this is if you've been overlooked in a promotion. Or, or somebody, you know, how about they wrongfully file a lawsuit against you for sexual harassment? You go, I never even talked to the person. So here we go to Genesis chapter 39. We're skipping all the way over to there. Genesis 39 says the Lord was with him. Let's read this because this is where he really gets into trouble. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, verse 1, and Potiphar, he's a key figure, an officer of Pharaoh, he's the, the biggest dude in the whole land, in the world, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down from there. And, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Now it's interesting, we're going to read some eight times in this one chapter, the Lord is with him. It won't appear so. It'll appear like, ah, if you're with me, what in the world's going on? But eight times we read, regardless of the situation, the Lord was with him. And so the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph found favor in, in Potiphar's sight, and he served him. Then he made him overseer. Maybe your translation says steward. He made him an overseer or steward of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and, and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. He left everything to Joseph's uh, hand. He didn't know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph, here's where the drama comes in. He was a handsome bugger in form and appearance. So here's this Adonis type guy coming in and he's really doing a great job. God's blessing him. God granted him uh, favor. He grants him um, prosperity. Now he becomes a steward. Now this is interesting. You want to take notes because as Christians, we are stewards. We're stewards of our spiritual gifts. So in, in uh, our, our, excuse me, our Ohana groups, are studying 1 Peter. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, we talk about giving an account for the spiritual gifts that God has given us. I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good steward of my money, of my time, of my in, uh, entertainment. So there's a four-part definition of a steward. And this is good. You're going to face the Lord and answer for this. Now, the first is that the steward is entrusted with goods that are not his own. So in Joseph, what a great example. Joseph, what do you own in the house? I don't own anything. I'm just a steward here. And then the steward is to oversee the use of those goods and the increase. It's not just to plane out or plateau out. No, no, no. I want to see an increase. If I'm investing my, my money with you, I want to see it grow. So the third thing is the, the steward will give an account to the master in the end. All right? When Jesus returns, we're going to give an account. Fourth thing, and maybe it's the most important, be rewarded accordingly, good or bad. In, first, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it talks about this. Be rewarded for the things that 
did, not meant to do or promised to do or memorized to do, things he did, whether good or bad. So here, here he is, the steward. And, and it, in, uh, in Genesis 39, verse uh, 16 and 18, it starts to go down. It's a big chunk, but it's a great story. So, verse, I'm sorry, verse 6 through 18, he's good and handsome in the form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things, in verse 7, that his master's wife, so this Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. I always hear poison, and I hear Satan behind it. Lie with me. I mean, talk about a straightforward woman. I know what I want. I want you in bed. Now here's Joseph going, what am I supposed to do? Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what, what is with me in the house. He's commanded that all he has into my hand. There's no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then, I love this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here's a, here's a I don't understand this. He has no Bible, right? There's no written Bible at that time. He has no Holy Spirit relationship like we do in, in new believers. Who, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment and strength and power. He didn't have any of that. One thing he has that a lot of Christians don't have today, a fear of God. And that's what comes out in this verse. How can I do this great wickedness and, and sin against God? Even though no one's looking, it, it, it could go, we could jump into bed and never, never hear about it again. And just no one would know. But God would know. And I just think, how in the world did he have this mentality that so many believers don't have today? You know, we're kind of looking around and go, okay, no one's going to see it. No one will know. And we go forth. And he goes, no, I have a fear of God. And so I'm not going to do it. So here he is. She, she lies. She tries to get him. There's no one in the house. He's set up to fall down. No one around. She comes up again. Lie with me. And he says, no. And he actually runs and leaves part of his garment behind. He has to, I mean, she's trying to clutch on. He goes, no way. You know, in the New Testament, it says in 2 Timothy 2.22. How about that? 2.2.2.2. Sound like who's the Frank DeLima? Right, the taxi company. Did I lose you guys? Two, 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 two. Second Timothy two twenty two. It says, "Flee youthful lusts." This is your picture of youthful lust. This is a picture of someone fleeing. I mean, the girl is trying to grab him in the bed, and he just leaves his coat behind or his, his, some garment behind and runs for his life. So then she's humiliated. She's, she starts screaming, she, and the servants come in. She goes, look at what this guy did. My husband brings in this Hebrew, and he tried to assault me. Here's his jacket. So he gets thrown into prison for doing the right thing. If he had done the wrong thing, he'd be free. See, so a lot of times we debate, okay, if I do this or if I don't do this, and we're trying to weigh out the, the pros and the cons. He, he said, no. <laughs> There's no God. There's, there's only a pro. I am going to serve God. I am not going to go against him. And so he ends up in prison for years. Now, it says in Genesis 39, 
even in prison, even in prison, verse 23, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. He becomes a steward again in prison. You see, he never lost his identity. Some people, you lose your job, you go, oh, there goes my identity. No, your identity is a Christian. You're in Christ. As the believer is forgiven, he's, he's, he or she has received God's love. It changes everything. And so you change my location, you change my job, you change all. It doesn't change me. I'm still a believer in Jesus Christ. And here he is. I'm still a steward. No matter where I am. And, and then God blessed him again and raised him up there in, in prison. So we covered three things already. Or two things. Not fair in relationships. Not fair at work. Not fair in the trials. So here he is in, in prison. And we'll get to how long he was there in a minute. But uh, in Genesis chapter 40. Now Pharaoh. Remember there's three sets of two dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams. And they're warning him about the end times and what he needs to do. Or about the future of his kingdom, I should say. So there, Joseph, um, I'm sorry, now these are the prisoners' dreams. I did it again. The prisoners, two, two guys are in prison. They each have a dream one night. And they come to Joseph. Hey, so what's up? We have these dreams and we don't know how to interpret. Joseph goes, doesn't interpretation belongs to God, right? Let me hear it. What, is, what does it say? And so he correctly interprets them. One's pretty good. He goes, oh, three, in three days, you're going to be restored to your job. The second guy goes, I, I like that. So he shares his dream. And he goes, well, your dream? Yeah, in three days, you're going to die. <laughs> he said, I like the first dream a lot better. But so two guys, two dreams, two different stories, two different ends. And then he goes to the guy who's going to live. He says, would you please remember me to Pharaoh? I'm not here. Uh, it's, it's wrong that I'm here. I'm a good guy. I, I fear God. I'm serving God. And, and I'm here for the wrong reasons. But of course he doesn't. So this chapter in verse 23, it says, Yet the butler, the guy who was restored to his, his job, he didn't remember Joseph but forgot him. And if I were Joseph in prison for the wrong reason, I'd be rehearsing the wrong things. I'd be rehearsing it's not fair. All I've done is honor God. All I've done is what I'm supposed to do above and beyond. And now here is my one chance. Do you understand? Everyone in prison is looking for a way out. And he thought, I got my way out. I got my way out. This guy who I've just gained favor with, I've just interpreted his dream, he'll tell Pharaoh for me. And then he goes and he forgets. And I'd be rehearsing, it is not fair. So we talked about it in relationships. We talked about it on the work, at, at work, and in trials, but now comes the good part. Here is the solution, but God. So, with this, we go to chapter 41. Remember, this is broad strokes, folks. It's kind of like when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't have Bibles, but they covered a lot of material. We're covering a lot of material in our Bibles as well. By the way, the way I look at a sermon... I feel it's like Jesus is up here and he's got his arm around me. And he says, tell them about me. Tell them about my word. Tell them about my truth. So here, the Pharaoh has two dreams. And, and it's telling him about what's going to happen uh, in the end times. But he can't figure out the interpretation. Finally, the butler goes, oh, yeah, yeah, there's this guy in prison who correctly interpreted my dreams. And uh, so they call up Joseph. 
Now, you got to understand, Joseph, that morning, he woke up like any other morning, unshaven, un, you know, probably hasn't had a bath in 90 years or whatever, and just like, okay, here I am again. And now, all of a sudden, they call him up, they shave him. They, now, he's right before the Pharaoh going, whoa, what's going on? So the Pharaoh says, I got these dreams. And Joseph said, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So seven years of prosperity, here are the two dreams. Seven years, you are going to be in fat city. But after that, it's going to be seven years of famine. So Joseph, in his wisdom, says, hey, you know what? You need to gather up in those seven years of prosperity and prepare for the seven years of famine. You got to select a guy who's Akamai and could put all this to work. And the Pharaoh goes, well, who's smarter than you? And so Joseph goes up there. He goes, and he wakes up in the morning in prison, and that night he's on his honeymoon. And who says that God can't change things in a hurry? And so here he is. I woke up in prison, and I got shaved. They put these clothes on me. I stand before priests. Now I'm on my honeymoon. God, it was, his time was ready. So the question, how many years did he spend in prison? Or what did he do in prison? Now, in Psalm 105, we know what he did. We know what God was doing. All right, Psalm 105, verses 16 through 19 says, He, meaning God, called for a famine in the land. This, the, the second dream being interpreted. There's going to be a famine. He called for a famine in the land. God destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, before the Jews, that says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Okay, we're tracking. We know exactly uh, where they're at. But this part, I don't like. When he's in prison, we think, oh, yeah, he, he had it in luxury. You know, he had somebody fanning him all the time. No, no, no. It says they, they hurt his feet with fetters. You know, those things they put in, and, you know, lack of sock, and, and just painful. I'd get a backache instantly and get, you know, cramps in my legs or whatever. And, and, and they laid him in irons. It was not a pleasant experience. Even though God was with him, and even though he was faithful, he was going through stuff. But then, look at this. Again in Psalm 105. Until the time that his word came to pass, the, the word of the Lord tested him. And in the original language, it's talking about fine-tuned. Now, we had some amazing time of worship up here, worship and song. I noticed all the musicians were in tune. Piano was in tune, singers were in tune, the guitar was in tune. Look, I played guitar long enough that when one string is out of tune, I mean, it just torques me. Just ding, 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 ding. And go, oh, why doesn't he tune that? You know, it's just like, uh, and so here God was doing that to Joseph. He's going, you're, you're pretty close, but man, you're out of tune. That E string needs to be tuned up. So I ask you, are you being fine-tuned this morning? Kind of like that guitar? You see, sometimes the musician is the only one who doesn't know he's not in tune. Sometimes the musician is up there singing away and having a great time, and people out there going, are you serious? Your guitar is so out, it's hard. Tune your guitar, and we'll be fine. Well, how much more for God's servants? when they're really out of tune, when they have a lousy attitude, when they have knee-jerk action of anger, 
when they have a revenge uh, vendetta. And, and here's the people around, I know you're God's servant, but man, alive you need to be fine-tuned. You're, you're, it's just, there's one string in your life that is so out, it's annoying. So then I ask you, are you being fine-tuned this morning like that guitar? Let it happen. Surrender to that. That's what God did for Joseph while he was in prison. So you go, oh, so now he's released. So then is no, now it's when it gets good. So now Joseph is out of prison, right? He's second in control. When he walks by, everybody bows. I mean, whoa, that would be a power trip. And so now he's this powerful guy. And after seven years of, fam, uh, of plenty, so let's do the math. He was 17 when he was sold. It says he was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. So that's 13 years after he was sold. Then there was seven years of plenty. So now we're up to 20. So after seven years of plenty, there's seven years of famine. So it took a while to catch up. We figure probably 20 to 22 years later is when his brothers finally came to, to Pharaoh to get, get some uh, food. So Joseph is second in command, right? His brothers bow down. And I want, I want is Joseph, rem oh, remember those dreams? Now he didn't say, hey, remember my dreams? He didn't, that would have been smart, not smart. He just thought, wow, these, this is what God's purpose for my life is being fulfilled. So it's been over more than 20 years. He wants to know, because he's speaking Egyptian. They have no clue this is Joseph. This is 20-some years later. They have no clue. They just, to me, if I were the brothers who sold him, I would be paranoid. I'd be going, let's not go to Egypt. What if we run into our brother, you know? And so, they, but they went, and, and so he's wondering, here's Joseph trying to see, did his brothers change at all, or are they just as bad as they were 20-some years ago? So Joseph, uh, he, he says, you guys are spies. You're here to spy out the land. You want to take over Egypt. No, 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 no. What's their response? In verse 9, we're honest men. Really? Can we define honest? And so they go, yeah, yeah, well, there's 12 of us all together. One is with dad, Benjamin, the youngest, who was uh, Joseph's brother, his real brother, his full brother. And then one is no more. Well, if you're honest, remember a few weeks ago I said, truth is like in a court of law. Tell, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? If you do that, you don't have to remember what you told anybody because you're always dealing in truth. It works really good that way in marriage, too. In our relationships, even at work, tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. And, and so here they are, well, one is no more. <laughs> if I was Joseph, dude, I'm here. One is more. So Joseph throws them in jail for three days, wants to see what they're like. After three days, he goes, you know, I fear God. He lets them out. He says, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep Simeon here in prison. And they watched him tie up Simeon. I'm going to keep him here. You go get your dad. And Benjamin, this guy I keep hearing about, you say once with dad, bring him. Bring them, and I'll release Simeon. So on their way back, uh, they get, <laughs> they, well, they said to one another as he's doing this, they're going, you know what? We are truly guilty concerning our brother. 
guys, that is over 20 years later. They are still guilt-ridden with something they did so long ago that could have been forgiven and forgotten. No, no, no. It's still grinding on them. Just like, oh, man, just, I wonder, I wonder what happened to Joseph. You know, here I am now married with kids and got plenty. And Joseph, I don't know. He's a slave somewhere. And so 20 years later, more than 20 years, yeah, it's because of what we did some 20 years ago. We're getting judged. Some people have that mentality. But I, just, I said, that's no way to live. I don't want to be guilt-ridden for something I did 20 years ago. Something I did two minutes ago. I don't want to have to carry around that guilt. That's where forgiveness comes in. Do you remember? You, do you confess and forsake your sin? The Bible says you'll find mercy. But these guys know we're still trying to cover it up. Over 20 years go by, and we're still trying to cover up what's going on. That is no way to live. So Joseph orders his servants. Keep, he's keeping back Simeon. Benjamin is still with his dad up in Canaan land. So now down to nine brothers. And he says, okay, I'm keeping Simeon. You go and, and told his servants, give him some grain, but also hide their money, the money they used to buy the grain. Just hide it in the grain. So they found it that night as they're now far away. And they go, what is this? Look at this that God has done to us. They find the money. They are trembling. They're freaked out. Oh, no. Now it looks like we're thieves on top of it. We're honest men. No, we're thieves. And they're going, what's going on? And notice, as soon as something goes wrong in their lives, they're going, no. It's because God is mad at us. God is after us. Rather than going, hey, I wonder if Joseph's got a message here. No, there's a person who's guilt-ridden. And, and I'm not talking about a person who hardens their heart and just does whatever they want. They don't, they don't. It might be their conscience is seared, Paul says in the New Testament. Kind of like branded with a hot iron. It just doesn't function right anymore. But the person who uh, just needs, to, needs forgiveness, just go to God. You'll get forgiveness rather than every little thing that goes wrong. All right, God's, God's doing something in my life because of what I did 20-some years ago. So they go back to Jacob. They travel. They don't bring their money back. They travel and they go, hey, uh, here's the food. But you know, our money was returned. And he, dad's looking around. So where, where's Simeon? Oh, well, he's still back there. They, kept, they put him in prison. Yeah, this guy... This guy, this, uh, some Egyptian was telling us, listen, you need to bring your dad. You need to bring Benjamin. You come here with Benjamin, and then I'll let go of your brother Simeon. Jacob says, all these things are against me. Have you ever been there? Where every, just no matter what you do or try or rectify, and just every obstacle, everything is like, I, the whole world is against me. And so here's the dad. Israel slash Jacob, the, the, the patron saint, if you will, of the whole family. And he goes, oh, everything's against me. I can't believe it. And then he's, he finishes by saying, no, Benjamin stays with me. You're not going to take him. So what happens is the famine continues. And it gets worse. And they're all looking at each other. And, Man, you're losing weight. Yeah, I'm not eating. So they appeal to dad and say, you know... You need to let us go with Benjamin because if 
we did it when we should have, we'd already be back by now. So he finally says, okay, take Benjamin. So he gets back there, and to make a long story short, he does all these tests, Joseph does, to see if there's been any change in his brothers. And finally, Judah repents in front and says, okay, this is the story. And he gives the whole story. Writers say it's one of the best repentances in all of the Bible. So Jacob comes to, to Egypt, and, and Joseph reveals himself. That, I think that's so cool, where Joseph all of a sudden goes, hey, guys, I'm your brother. And it's a big party. It's a lot of crying, a lot of tears. But he reveals himself. So they go back another time, get dad and bring him with them. And chapter, uh, we end in chapter 49. Joseph, Jacob is now blessing his family. But here comes the moral of Joseph's life. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Now, Jacob dies, right? He's like old. And so all the brothers and sisters and family and young ones, they take him up to the Canaan land to, to bury him in Canaan land, which they do. They bury Jacob. They're on their way back. And the brothers go, hey, uh, perhaps... Joseph will hate us and repay us for all the evil we did to him. They're still thinking, it's coming. We're going to get creamed. Now that dad, I think dad was a saving grace, but now that he's out of the way, I think Joseph is going to lay one on us. You know what? When Joseph heard of that, he cried. He wept. It's like, guys, you don't know my heart. You've been with me all this time. You've been forgiven. I've been feeding your families. We've been having a great time. I just, you just know my, you do not know my heart. I, I wonder how many people are going to hear this from Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. But I just wonder how many of us are just still ready. Well, he's going to cream us when this happens. And I, I just wonder this morning, how many people Jesus would weep over saying, you just don't understand me yet. I love you. So, Genesis chapter 50, Jesus, uh, Joseph says, look, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Honestly, yeah, you kind of are, Joseph. You're the second in command. If you say we're dead, we're make. We're out of here. If you say we're in slavery, whatever you say, you're kind of God on earth. But Joseph, again, has this fear of God. No, I'm not going to use that for, for my gain. I'm just, uh, am I in the place of God? And as for you, now this is so important when it comes to forgiveness. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Here he's saying, guys, let's not kid ourselves. You really meant it for evil. You were trying to kill me, then you sold me for 20 bucks or whatever. You meant it for, let's, you need to own up to that. You know, it's not like, oh, let's pretend nothing happened. No, you did it for evil. But God. You leave God out of this, it doesn't even make sense. But God meant it for good, meaning there's a bigger picture. God has a bigger plan. God has his fingerprints all over this. God has in, in his sovereignty. He rules over all this. And it says, in order to bring about 
as it is this day to save many people alive. There's God's bigger plan. Joseph, you're not going to understand me for decades. You're going to suffer. It's going to be not fair. But if you would simply surrender and trust, this is going to work out for many, many, many people. So Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And I love this verse. He spoke. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Meaning he initiated the forgiveness. I, I understand there are people who have no idea how to speak comfort or uh, speak kindly. There are some, they, they, it's just not in them. But can we learn from Joseph? Can we learn from this lesson? That everything in him, maybe in prison he was dreaming all those years, I'm going to kill them, I'm going to get even, instead of just, man, I forgive them. Do you know how to speak comfort? Do you know how to, to uh, speak kindness to people? Isn't it amazing that Joseph was the one that initiated? Now, when your life isn't fair, this is how we started. It can come from an innocent, broken heart. It can lead to frustration, hopelessness, even defeat, or stir up rebellion. And in your prison, you're just going, man, once I get out, I'm going to cream those people. I'll show them, you know, hurt and pain. But there's that third option, trusting the Lord. That's what Joseph cho chose to do. Let me start here. You need to forgive someone. It's probably something that wasn't fair in your life. Relationships, maybe if you're old enough to remember the Smothers Brothers show, Tommy Smothers would always say, mom always loved you best. That was a joke for them, but it's real for some of you where you felt slant, you know, just forget that one. I favor this one over here and it's just not fair. Or, or on the job, again, where you were looked over. You, you didn't get the promotion that you worked for. Or you didn't get recognized for something that you labored for so long. Or even in your trial. You need to forgive someone. Here's what Jesus said about forgiveness. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about forgive us our debts as we forg forgive our debtors. Some translations, forgive us our sins. Just exactly the same way we forgive someone who sins against us, someone who does something not fair to us. He says, he, later on, he, he said, you know, for you, if you forgive men their sins, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Now, people have a problem with that. They're saying, wait, 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 is that getting to heaven by works? I thought it was all grace and stuff. Jesus went on to say, if you don't forgive men their sins, their trespasses, don't expect you your father to forgive you and people wait, 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 wait. That, that sounds like you have to work your way into heaven you know what instead of doing a big theology thing just forgive that's the whole point forgiveness is not an option it is christ-like it's the lesson from joseph's life so forgiving is not an option here's the reason why people don't forgive others you might have more reasons than this but here's one he or she doesn't deserve it. They don't deserve my forgiveness. I already forgave them twice today. You said if they come back to you seven times in one day, forgive them all seven. What? 
for the same thing? You don't deserve it. Another one. I don't condone what they did. You know, as if, if I forgive them, I'm saying, they're there. So, no, Joseph said, let's face it. You guys meant it for evil. Let's not kid ourselves. Another one is, well, I don't want to let them off the hook. Meaning, if I'm Joseph in my prison, I'm thinking of ways to get even. I, I want them to burn. I want them to feel it like the pain that I felt. Well, they're not even sorry for what they did. Joseph's brothers never go, oh, we're so sorry. He says, no. Look at the same list. And how does Jesus forgive you? Um, did you deserve it? How, who in their right mind has ever prayed, God, please forgive me because I deserve it? No, you don't. Who in their right mind says, uh, God, forgive me because I know you condone it? No, he doesn't condone it. God, forgive me because I want to get off the hook. God wants to let you off the hook. That's what's so crazy about God's forgiveness. They're not even sorry. When you say, I can't do that, they rape me. They rip me off. They kidnap my kid. I get it. I, there's this bizarre stuff that goes on. I think the honest prayer is, God, for Father, help. I know I'm supposed to. It's beyond me. Father, help. How about Jesus in Genesis? He was like Joseph in that Jesus was sent ahead by the Father in order to save many people from their sins. Remember? Joseph said, oh, you did it, but this is what God did. Then like Joseph, he was rejected by his brethren. He had his coat of many colors torn off, if you will, twice. Once he did it himself. Philippians 2, he removed those heavenly garments, if you will, and took on flesh and blood. But then at the cross, they're casting dice. Hey, who gets, the, who gets his garment? Like Joseph, he was sold for several pieces of, of silver. Now, like Joseph, Jesus will someday reveal himself. Hey, guys, have you been reading anything about end times? I was in um, Luke 21 yesterday, whatever. And all this stuff about end times. I mean, it's like crazy good. Earthquakes. We just had some of those from New Zealand. Famines. Got that. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus said, eh, not yet. Those things are going to happen, but it's, the end's not yet. But he did say, look up, because it's close. Look up, because it's close. And man, it is so close. I can't wait for Jesus to reveal himself. And the world will go, what? Now, Jesus, when he reveals himself, like Joseph, will have power to forgive or to judge them for their sins. But like Joseph, Jesus initiates the forgiveness. Now, we all need forgiveness. Have you ever met someone who doesn't need forgiveness? Just talk to his wife. She'll tell you. We all need forgiveness. We all need hope. Now, here's the thing. This is how Jesus initiated forgiveness. Father, forgive them. When did he do it? Like 20 years later? No, present tense. As the nails are going in, Father, forgive them. I would be going, blast them away. Just cream them all. He goes, no, Father, forgive them. That's the Savior we serve. That's the Savior we follow. That's the, the model we need to do. Father, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. Finally, Jesus speaks words of comfort, words of healing, just like, like Joseph did. So when one, one woman was caught in adultery, by law, they were supposed to present both the man and the woman, but the hypocrites just wanted the woman. They let the man go free. Remember, you without sin cast the first stone. Nobody, they all leave. And Jesus goes, so, hey, so where's all your condemners? They're gone. Uh, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. I think she did. I, I, I assume we're going to meet her in heaven. But here's the deal. What's your 20 pieces of silver? Today, if the worship team could come, I'd like to end with some worship, but what's your 20 pieces of silver? And I mean, maybe it's not as blatant as Judas Iscariot. Give me some silver, I'll give you Jesus. But if you take a step back and look at things, often it is a relationship. I'm singing to Jesus until I get the right boyfriend, and then I'm gone. I'm singing to Jesus until I get the right girlfriend or the right setup, the right sum, your 20 pieces of silver, of course for Jesus, 30 pieces. What are you exchanging? Is it worth it? What are you saying, as long as I got this, you can have Jesus? Or is it more like, Pete, like Joseph? No, I'd rather have, remember the song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Let's stand and, and close.